There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, that's the new Blink-182 you hear right there. They did really well on the Billboard charts. Their new album, California, sold about 170,000 copies its first week. Really, really good numbers. And a lot of people are talking about them lately. Um, I'm pretty much always talking about Blink-182, so I went and found someone who could talk about them with me. His name is Andy Greenwald. His book, Nothing Feels Good, Punk Rock, Teenagers, and Emo. I read when I was in high school, bought it out of Barnes & Noble at Menlo Park Mall in New Jersey. And yeah, it really taught me a lot of the backstory on those genres. And these days, Andy writes a lot about TV and music, so I was wondering how much he keeps up on stuff like Blink-182. The answer is yes, he keeps up on this stuff a lot. And yeah, I really shouldn't have doubted him. So we really went in about the new Blink album, about where pop punk and emo are right now, about... New bands we like, old bands we love, so I hope you enjoy our talk here. The Alt and Our Stars podcast posts about once a week on Billboard.com. I'm your host, me, Chris Payne, every week. And it posts all different days, so to keep up with the podcast, you should subscribe. You can do that by searching The Alt and Our Stars in iTunes or the podcast app of your phone. Also, while you're there, rating, star rating helps a huge amount, just getting attention for the podcast. I put a ton of work into it. It's probably my favorite thing I do for Billboard, so I really appreciate star rating or just specific feedback you might have for me, things you like and don't like about the show that you can write in there. And also, once you're at iTunes or the podcast app or whatever, you can dig into old episodes. If you're into stuff like this, if Blink-182 brought you into this podcast, we've had Pup on the show, Modern Baseball, Beach Slang, interviews with those bands, and I think you'd really like them, so... Lots of stuff there to dig into. Been doing this podcast for about a year and a half now. So here it is Blink 182 Talk with Andy Greenwald. Hey there, you're listening to the Alt and Our Stars podcast. Today's guest, podcaster of The Ringers, The Watch podcast for HBO USA, creator of content, maybe you could say. I guess. Everyone makes content. That's the thing. It's Andy Greenwald. Content is our currency. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming by. So, Blink-182. Yeah, people those, are talking again, huh? Those guys, killing it. You guys must have been... I mean, you work here at Billboard. Were you surprised that they had a number one record? Or, did, um, or, or do you like... Well, the funny thing with number one records these days is a lot of it just comes down to what week it comes out. Right. Because if it comes out in a week where not much is popping, 
you can not really have a good sales week and get a number one record. Right. So it's sort of like number one with an asterisk sometimes. Right. So you can finesse it. So for maybe the, they knew what they were doing. For but those, it still knocked Drake off and Drake came back, right? So Yeah. I mean, like, either way, I was 172,000 sales. Yeah, that's a lot. Not even with streams. Like, that's just people that's like going. like people buying a compact disc. Or going into iTunes and spending like oh, good. Okay. $10. I thought you meant like physical. Oh, no, no. But everything. Everything t- together. Right. All things considered. Actual purchases. 172,000 people. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So that's what made me think of having you buy for the podcast, you know, the success of Blink-182. But because I'm old enough to remember buying CDs <laughs> and reference them in the first five minutes of your pod. Yeah. Um, I heard you on the Grantland, one of the, the pop culture podcasts, with Lauren Mayberry from Churches, and mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, Andy Greenwald, that guy pretty much wrote the book on email. <laughs> it's so true. So I, I can't make that joke. It's I true. I can't make that joke. Well, you could credit Lauren. She's, she, she deserves all the credit. So we'll credit her, but yeah, I read that book in high school, and um, yeah, I was really getting into the scene. I had been for a few years, but that filled in a lot of like the background knowledge, got my history. So what was, where were you in high school? What was your, what was your, your, your band? What was your location? I was in New Jersey. Okay. Northern New Jersey. All right. So like like Saves the Day country, like Lifetime country. Were those your bands? I loved Saves the Day. Lifetime was a little bit before my right. time. That's true. I had to kind of get into them retroactively. And even kind of like Saves the Day. Right. This was like 2003. Yeah, 2004 was like when my, I really got in. My book came out to November 2003. Yeah. So basically like learning about Promise Ring or something like that mm-hmm. was, even though it was like seven years prior, was like... A big history lesson. The biggest gulf in your cultural life, I think, is something like that. It's like from when you're getting into stuff at 17, 18, and stuff that came out when, when you were only 10 or 11. Because now, as an adult, things that came out six or seven years ago, you don't even realize. It's like, it's like a, sorry to say, it's like a blink of an eye. <laughs> but then, that is huge. Those are different eras, like fully foundational shifts yeah. in music scenes. And I think a lot of the time, when you're getting into culture as a kid, what's going to seem coolest to you is like, what was hot just before you? Sure. Like, what was your cool older sibling or cousin into? Well, you also are desperate at that age to, to, to prove some establishment. You want to be yeah. holding on to something that came before you. you you're, not just a, you're not a poser. You're not a Johnny-come-lately or whatever. You have some sense of where this came from because the, the, the automatic entry point for any subcultural scene is um, you know, how long you've been here. What do you know? Everyone's always looking. Everyone's always trying to pull up the ladder behind them, basically. Yeah. Because that's how you prove your worth. So yeah, my favorite band in those years, the one that basically got me into everything, was Via Hearing, The Middle, Jimmy World on Top 40 Radio, and nice. that is what started what it all. What a wonderful gateway drug. Yeah, it really was. The, the thing about Jimmy World that was so funny is that they were kind of an afterthought, not a joke, they were respected because they were nice guys and they like put in a lot of work in the van, but they were the band from the 90s emo scene that shocked everyone by signing to a major. They signed to Capitol. Um, and it, it almost seemed like because Promise Ring didn't sign to a major and all these other bands were suddenly getting scouted, Jimmy World was the one that signed. And their f- first record, Static Prevails, was immediately ignored. And Clarity, which is a masterpiece, was also pretty much ignored. And almost not even released. Almost not even released. But then the other thing was that, you know, um, uh, Lucky Denver Mint, which is a perfect pop song. Mm-hmm. I remember the biggest deal in the world was that that song was on the soundtrack to the Drew Barrymore movie Never Been Kissed. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to make it. Like, that was a big deal. And then they didn't. They got dropped, basically, and then recorded Bleed American on their own after crowdsourcing. This all seems like very 2016 in a way. Yeah. 
They crowdsourced by touring and then made this album that is just essentially a perfect pop rock album. And it absolutely did what you said. I mean, and, and, and I, you know, I wrote about in, in my book that the video for The Middle in many ways captured everything about what that scene was, what it was about to be. It was about the people who were awkward at the party and didn't want to do the things the jocks and popular kids did. Yeah. But they were secretly hot, too, and they secretly wanted to make out, too. And that's essentially what happened as emo and pop punk went super mainstream in the years to follow that. And we can take it further. The band really into sports. Yes. The, yes. the drummer, Zach Glenn, his dad played Major League Baseball. Yes. And I remember I went on tour with them from my book in the summer of, of 02. Oh, and this is where it ties into our bigger conversation because they were opening, they were the opening band on the Pop Disaster Tour with Green Day and Blink-182. So I was with them in like sheds across Texas, I think. And uh, maybe I met them in Arizona. I don't even remember. Um, no, that would have been their home state. So it wasn't yeah. that. It was in Texas. And uh, uh, I remember being on the bus with them and being so shocked at how dull it was to be traveling with Lots a rock band. Lots of like short sleeve, button down t-shirts all pressed. Yeah. Iron for the next show. Yeah. And like a lot of conversations about just stuff and like no depth at the, in the, and the not that they're not deep guys, but they just didn't want to have those conversations. And, uh, you know, and then maybe after the show, a hard earned single beer. It was very, very tame, but they're very serious. And Jim, to this day, I talked to him last year. I mean, he just really likes writing songs and he, you know, they probably, and they, he still writes good songs, but the needle never moved further than the middle, I think, because he, he never gave anyone anything to work with. There was this song called Jen that was, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so you really like Jimmy Eat World. I love Jimmy Eat World. I, yeah. uh, there were bands I wrote about in that book that I came to like and bands that I really, truly admire, but I love Jimmy Eat World. I love, I mean, I, when, when they have a new record coming out at the end of this year, and I am absolutely, we're going to do a pod on them. I'm going to like make a like a deep cuts playlist. Okay. I love that band. I'm excited for that. But before the two of us go off on too deep of a mm. tangent, this song, Jen, was cut at the last minute from the track listing of Futures, the album that followed up Lead American. Very underrated record. Extremely poppy song that I thought could have been like another middle if they had gone with it. They had songs like that on Chase This Light. I mean, they're, they've, never, they've never stopped writing pop songs like that, but the moment shifted. And then to have a pop yeah. rock song on the radio... What does that even mean? I mean, there is no radio for that. There is no there's no lane for that kind of music anymore, but they just keep making it. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of thing that ultimately could hold back how far Blink-182 goes with this album. Because, like, Bored to Death, the lead single, is getting played all over alternative and rock radio. Mm -hmm. Both, like, the alternative, the lighter side, and, like, mainstream rock, where you would hear lots of, like, Breaking Benjamin and Five Finger Death Punch. They're being played, like, across all formats on rock. But for a top 40 station they're just not going to get played because you almost hear no guitar on Top 40 these days. That's yeah, just so how it is. There's no place for guitar. And, and we talked about the, at the beginning that number of number of units they moved. you, you got to think that that's for the same reason that like if the Eagles made a new record, it's their first week sales would be amazing too because even though the, the classic Blink-182 fan who was, what, in high school 15 years ago or something like that, they still bought CDs because that was right on the cusp of mm -hmm. Napster. And, and so it's very possible that they still buy things and want to buy things, where I, whereas I don't think the next generation will. I also don't think that means they'll continue to sell at that level. Yeah, so and unfortunately, I sort of fear that with a lot of rock bands because I see across the board, you know, like Panic at the Disco also had a super impressive that sales week. That's a great example, yeah, because that was that was more surprising to yeah. me. Yeah. But that's also just the power of one underserved fan base mm -hmm. acting in unison, right, on a single week. Yeah, and none of the bands that have these sales weeks are new. No, and then the only one that I think 
was really prepared to adapt to the moment as Fall Out Boy, who always were a pop band, were always were, um, I don't know, polyamorous, let's say, in their styles and interests. So come, them coming back fully gunning for whatever counts as pop radio these days, I think was really smart, but also very consistent with who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think Jimmy Eat World or Blink-182 are going to do that, nor should they. Consistent in that Fall Out Boy, I don't think in the history of the band has ever turned down an award show appearance. So I don't want to, I don't want to shade Fall Out Boy. I love Fall Out Boy. We could talk Fall Out Boy. Um, I got really I I didn't like Save Rock and Roll the comeback record at I first. Love that record. Then I got really into it. I still can't really get into. Um, what was the name of the last one? American American something American Psycho American uh, American Beauty American, American Psycho. Psycho. Yeah, yeah, that was not nearly as good. It was much more craven. But, you know, <laughs> that's a very good adjective to describe. But the I, album. I respect that. I mean, that's the thing. I, I did. Um, I did two cover stories on Fall Out Boy during their first iteration, one for Spin and one for uh, one for Blender. And that was the thing about Pete even then. I mean, he was not I don't want to say he was shameless. He was ambitious. And that in itself at the time seemed a little bit out of sync because you still kind of weren't supposed to say that. Um, I think if you're a rock band, especially if you're coming from any kind of underground, you are never supposed to have ambition, which is always nonsense because everyone has ambition. And I prefer bands that have ambition and want to write big pop songs and be liked a lot and they achieve that. And so I think in that sense, because he's always been that way, he never had to, he never, there, he basically hasn't gone off his path from the beginning. Whereas, I mean, if you look at back at those blink videos from, um, like take off your pants and jacket and when they broke through on TRL all their videos were about making fun of the fact that they were doing TRL but you know whisper voice they were doing TRL and they were writing pop songs there's no shame in that yeah and it's also super interesting with Pete that he did not come from any sort of an industry background in any way like he was just a hardcore kid from Chicago who got tired of doing that sort of stuff and wanted to be in more of a you know pop oriented band so all of this like ingenuity from like working within the industry it just sort of like comes from what he picked up i i always loved the divide in that because they you know the the divide in that band was so contemporary that they had they had um patrick who was a musical genius and wrote all wrote, wrote all the songs mm-hmm. and then you have a guy who basically in the band who was their manager de facto manager Bas- yeah. who takes care of everything else and that was very very smart and ahead of its time yeah and also just like great partnerships in music i think a lot of times it's it's more more on the download because it'll be like a rapper and a producer it'll be mm-hmm. like drake and 40 or something but with them that partnership is there for everyone to see and basically that's why they had to get back together after they broke up yeah because neither of them could do it on their own they needed no. each other they needed each other man remember patrick stump's foray into being an r&b singer soul punk soul punk i liked his tuxedo i like that kid what about black cards what about black Wentz's cards. Band? they never released a thing did they 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 brought BB Rexa into the game. I know, so so we'll always thank them for that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's drop in some music. This is Bored to Death from the new Blink album. What do you think of the new Blink record? I think it's fine. Um, I wish I liked it more, and I'm one of the I'm one of the few people out on the uh, out on the forefront of the neighborhoods might secretly be their best album for game. Huh. People do not agree with me. I love late period Blink. I love neighborhoods. I love dog eating dogs. I love um, the self titled record. 
um, which shocked me when I realized that that was 2003, because I still think of that as late period blink, but that was years and years ago. Uh, I think the new record is as probably as good as it could be. It's way too long. I think it would be much better if it was 10 tracks. Um, I think that ultimately Tom is missed, and I don't want to be one of those guys that says they can't reinvent themselves, they don't have any right to continue. Um, I think Skiba is fantastic. I'm a huge Alkaline Trio fan. Um, I love that band. I think he was a very smart choice to replace Tom um, in as much as anyone can replace him. But when you go back and you listen to even Neighborhoods of an album they don't like, Mm -hmm. or even the self-titled record, the thing that made that band so good was the fact that all three of them very much appeared to be pursuing careers in different bands, yet somehow they were on the same track, on the same record, on the same stage. The dynamic between them where they would literally be pulling in opposite directions and vocal lines on the same song that tension, it probably could never hold. And so I completely understand why one of them is off chasing aliens while the other one is still chasing billboard charts. Um, but that's what made them so dynamic. And I, so I think that tension is missing from the record. But, but like Mark Hoppus could write good pop, 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 punk pop songs forever. I don't think that's ever going to stop. So and it's not like he's gotten worse at that. I just miss the fact that there used to be like a, like a shot of acid on his, not the drug, like literally like squeezing lemon mm-hmm. in Tom's voice on the little, the more, um, carby bottom of Mark Hoppus's songs. Yeah, and they had John Feldman co-write for them across the whole album, and that was the first time they ever worked with a collaborator like that. Mm-hmm. And I just think the songs are just tight across the whole thing. Even though it's 14 tracks, I think it holds my attention all the way through, which albums that long normally don't. And even though I'm kind of like rewriting a lot of the lyrics in my head as I listen to the album, yeah. this the hooks all land really well. The songs are structured really well. There's like acoustic songs that really work, and I wasn't expecting it to be that varied. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I just think there's some sometimes when Mark goes back in the the juvenilia and like goes back to being like you know we're just we're just telling dick jokes in our parents' backyard. I'm like, well, you're you're 40. You know, I I, I like the reason I like neighborhoods is because they were like we're older now. And we're trying to figure that out, and if this even makes sense. Um, the, that's obviously a core part of who he is and what he's interested in doing in songwriting, but that's the part of Blink that's always interested me the least. Yeah. Although he embraces dad jokes a lot on Twitter. He seems like a swell guy. I mean, they, I'm glad that he's still doing it because this makes him happy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not the target demographic for someone who's just like, they've sold out or they're over, they should give it up. I mean, as long as he's enjoying himself, he should be doing it. And I think it's, and I hope that, even though you know Tom is is wearing a tinfoil hat somewhere, I hope he's enjoying this <laughs> that, that this reconsideration of their work critically that's happening. I mean, right when I sat down, you mentioned that that Kay Santa has a piece in the New Yorker that I'm looking forward to reading. But like, they were a great band for a very long time and wrote an incredible. I mean, their greatest hits is Unimpeachable, and they were definitely not taken seriously at the time, and they didn't take themselves seriously very often. Yeah. What do you think of, uh, how do you think Skiba's taken this now? I don't know. I mean, that guy, Alkaline Trio discography holds up. I mean, that is a band that was never appreciated in their time. And when they were putting out some of their best records, um, like From Here to Infirmary, and I'm blanking on some of the, you know, the early Good two- Morning. Good Morning. All those so great puns. All, so many puns. <laughs> good Morning. So many death good puns. Good Morning with the, the morning spelled with an O-U. It was it's a little absurd, but those early records and those records on Vagrant, um, they were putting them out when Blink was in its glory, and they were, they did fine, but they were really underappreciated. Um, so I hope 
that what he's thinking is maybe he's I don't know this is I'm always looking at this from an old person perspective at this point I'm like maybe he has a kid maybe he's married I don't know but it's nice to have the job that pays well and I don't think he's I don't I don't mean to say he's phoning it in but this wasn't his band so whatever he brings to it is probably you know uh, icing at this point and I think his songs are nice and his songs intentionally are not Tom style songs and they're also not alkaline trio songs which I think is a very tough thing tough line to walk yeah I actually I mean side note like alkaline trio was a short second favorite to blink or to jimmy at world when i was growing up yes yeah so i absolutely feel you there i could probably rattle off all the puns from those early albums across the lyrics but anyway oh crimson was the one after yeah crimson 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 i remember going to an album release signing in jersey for that and being so stoked because also a get up kids live album was coming out the same day nice got both of them this the amazing t- thing about like 03, 04, and right when I wrote the book and then I was writing about these bands for various magazines, you know, we said at the beginning that generations of fans are always trying to pull the ladder up behind them. This was the era where you could see bands who were doing fine, suddenly see other bands find the ladder above the level where they were and not know what to do with it. And I remember seeing Jimmy World play here, Irving Plaza, Rose, maybe Roseland, right when Bleed American was popping off. And they asked Promise Ring to open for them because they were friends. And I remember watching Promise Ring, and Promise Ring were touring Woodwater, which was supposed to be their like big mature leap forward. And I remember watching Davey Von Bolen like look at this crowd, ignoring him, and being ready, ready for Jimmy World. And it was like watching, it was just watching your life pass you at a Ferrari. Like he just realized that he missed the the, the off ramp onto the next level of success. And yeah. similarly, like Alkaline Trio were so good at doing that specific thing they did. And I remember seeing them open for My Chemical Romance, and and they were good friends, and they complimented each other as bands in both senses. Absolutely. But they couldn't do that, they, and they had no interest in doing that, but, you, but they could see the levels of fandom, and they couldn't level up. Um, and I feel like that has to be frustrating, even if you never let on that it is. Yeah, although I also think that sometimes not leveling up, even though you don't get the short-term rewards, it kind of prepares you for a more yes. lifelong... A longer-lasting you know, career. Like, like newfound glory is still like consistently like doing what they do and like pretty successful at it that's true if you can make peace with being you know solid b b minus level everything i don't mean in your life i mean there's there's great i think personally there's there's great glory and great respect to be had for people who just make the music they want to make and they interact with their fans and they're fine with it but i think it can be a rough landing if you've either tasted the level just before or if you've really really worked to try and get there yeah because like Around the time the scene had really peaked and like bled through into the mainstream, in like 2007 or so, you would see these bands that right away formed and like were touring in in buses and had like like really fancy gear from the get go. Yeah. Like right right away, let's just like have the expectation of being huge. And like maybe they had a big hit like that. Maybe they're like screamy electro, but still very melodic kind of rock song. Like mm-hmm. was a big hit, but those bands really aren't around today still. They probably just broke up after a few years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't write, write about music on a regular basis at all anymore. But I, I, So I don't know if there has been another gold rush. But I think that that, to, to my mind, one of the reasons why it was interesting to write about was that emo gold rush was sort of the last one where the major labels tried to do it the old way to see if it could work. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that, Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance were the only ones that I think approached traditional levels of hit um, that were sort of farmed and developed that way but yeah. but because of fallout boy did of what it did i mean fueled by ramen's whole thing right was that they would and all the labels were doing this they were just going around wink wink investing in baby bands and funding their tours and funding their records but releasing them on indies because they knew the kids still cared about that and then upstreaming them and blah 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 yeah it, and it, like it was pretty 
the thing is behind the sta- backstage, I think in those meetings, it's always the same. Like when people talk about like the major labels going chasing punk bands or new wave bands or grunge bands, mm-hmm. the decade changes, but the handshakes and the dinners and the drugs all stay the same backstage. And a lot of there are a lot of casualties. Yeah, it's really true. I think another one on a positive note you can throw into that group of Fall Out Boy by Chem is Paramore. Oh, and right, sure. Yeah, it, that's another one where she was basically she. They signed her, right? And then they sort she's of, the only one signed, quote and unquote, they, formed a band around her. Yeah, like they they've you know come clean with it in years since, but basically they were telling all these fake stories and in interviews to make it seem like they had forms like yes. completely free of yes. you know Atlantic record pulling strings, but basically like they were she was signed as a solo artist and at first they wanted to make her just be marketed as a pop star but she was like no no i want to like do the band thing so they're like okay they did the you know with with atlantic records and putting them on fuel by ramen but what's what i always thought was just like so remarkable about that and like why i just think Haley is the truth so much is that all of the the people who formed paramore with her were her actual friends yes. from tennessee that side of the story was completely legit. I, I have a lot of respect for her. I like her a lot. But like what, I also wonder who cares anymore? I mean, maybe in 08, I, I, I'm not in touch with the kids, but I don't know if they care anymore. Like in a, post, not just post Pete Wentz universe, but just a post fame universe. Like I don't know if that story really matters anymore, but it's interesting to note that, that it, they, she still had to conform to a certain narrative to be accepted in a certain world, thinking that acceptance into that world would then lead to greater acceptance in yeah. the pop and marketplace. She, and she was like 16 when she like got all like when she basically told Atlantic Records like no, I want to do it this way because mm-hmm. normally in that situation what happens is you know the the front person is signs and the label just goes out and finds like a bunch of dudes to form the band, usually like a lot older who have like been in the industry more who are just strangers and like it's like here, make a record with them, go yeah. tour with these people. Studio musicians, day players, people they're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, but um like I've gone on both Paramore cruises and like spoken a lot with fans and like the vibe that I get from that is they really do care about Paramore as the band aspect. It's true. I guess I guess that's always that's nice to know too. I guess I, I realize I was arguing more in the cynical direction, but having a connection, especially as you're when you're getting into music, having a connection with a band as idea of a band, not just that they make good songs, but that they are legitimately friends or having these intense relationships while you have an intense relationship with their music. That's still key. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely whack to think of just the band model as just superior to, mm-hmm. like, the solo person. But it's like it's like a rallying cry with them now, the Paramore fans. Duos are bands, is what they're saying now, because Paramore is just two people officially. Is he, is, the... is he signed? No. She, only she signed yeah, still? <laughs> it's, it's, as far as I know, it's, it's just Haley Williams who is signed. Yeah. Taylor York, the guitarist, is the other one who's officially in the band. Right, but that there's probably a lot of paperwork regarding that relationship. Yeah, yeah, so... Without getting too like too down that rabbit hole, but yeah, like the the bassist Jeremy, who left the band recently, they were involved in some sort of legal dispute where he wanted more money out of. It's so yeah. ugly on that side of the ball. It always has been. It always will be. Yeah, but uh, I mean that's probably a very real thing that a lot of like quote bands grapple with these days, where the one famous one is the one who's like the songwriter is signed mm-hmm. and the rest even though they call it a band probably aren't on that contract it probably it's probably true and and i i don't know if people are more i don't know if, if young music fans pay more attention to the industry part of it now or less or the same amount but that sort of stuff really wasn't talked about i mean maybe like if you go on the absolute punk message boards or something like in 04 <laughs> like people would definitely be oh, yeah. talking shit about x band that seemed like they were fake or 
posers or whatever. That always exists. But in terms of just like the casual fandom knowing, I don't know. I think you can go to the Absolute Punk message boards any year and find people talking People are talking shit, shit about this podcast right now. We haven't even posted it yet. But yes. Yeah, so, um... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What were we talking about before that? Haley, um, yeah, Haley, bands that were signed <laughs> in that era and didn't make it. Um, yeah, we were talking about like some of the the worst stuff, or this like the very thirsty for the for the airwave stuff that came out in like oh six, oh sure, oh seven when that beat. Let's drop in some music. What is like your what comes to mind for like the worst song oh, God. that came out of that? Worst song? I mean, you're taking me back. I I'm trying to think. I mean. <coughs> Pretty much anything on Victory Records that wasn't Thursday or Taking Back Sunday in the beginning, there was an era where, you know, that this label, which was just notoriously sketchy, just basically like, I mean, I don't want to, they, they were just cooking all sorts of books and signing bands, young bands, these very punishing, vindictive contracts. Um, and Taking Back Sunday and Thursday came off on back of their records on Victory and uh, were, then, were then signed by major labels with the legal and financial clout to free them. From this label but in the wake of them leaving victory saw an enormous opening and started just signing dozens of baby bands who were desperate to follow in the footsteps of these other bands and i couldn't i mean i can't even name them right now i mean they 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 were just it was so cynical you know they had a they had a new thursday they had a making they had a taking back sunday clone they had a lot of my chemical romance clones um and i was interested to see this actually made it in my book that like because i wrote a lot of my book about dashboard confessional and near the end of writing I saw that that there was this guy called the Lindsay Diaries who was mm-hmm. basically doing Dashboard Confessional I remember that um, I talked to him about it and it was just like I just it was so shameless I couldn't I kind of couldn't believe it and then I, I saw in your publication in Billboard there was this article last last year about this dude what's his name Front Porch Stoop or something oh Front Porch Step it's Front Porch Step and I was like, I can't believe. I mean, he he seems like a total ski. Like it seemed like totally well, sketchy. Well, yeah, that, that was the whole. He was on Warp Tour, and it was it became known that he was like um, sexually harassing girl, like underage girls via text message. But even separate and apart from his apparently very gross, potentially illegal, generally awful activities, the music was terrible, and it was essentially like fifth rate or like ninth generation watered down dashboard. But I was like, oh, so we're still doing this. Um, I thought that was interesting. It was finally, finally, second secondhand serenade was being ripped off by someone. Thirdhand finally. serenade. I mean, so tell me. So you were more involved in the scene then, even. So what, like, what were some of these like baby bands that you remember? Like, what was the what was the nadir 
of uh, major label emo. Do you remember the Crab Core? No. Do you the video? What was the band? It was this really ridiculous sceny metalcore band who had this electronic breakdown in a screamo song, and in the video, the guitarist in super skinny, like maybe like twenty four waist black jeans, yeah. is doing like a crab walk with his guitar, and it became like a meme. No, I don't. I don't think I knew what a meme was. What is the the attack attack? That's who it was. Oh God, yeah, I remember seeing these names and just being like, I've tapped out. I I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Especially because bands like like Mike Hem, who I genuinely love as people and and their music, it wasn't. It was thoughtful performance. Like what they were doing with with makeup and with performance with character and stuff was really inspired. And you can see that in the stuff Gerard does now in comic books and Mm -hmm. and, and and just in his artistic life. And of course, is when everything is copied. It was like, oh, they're wearing makeup, so that's what we're gonna do. I think when and if, but probably when My Chemical Romance gets back together, people are gonna lose their shit. I think they are. Well, I think we saw that this week because uh, there was a teasing video released um, that was to perm- it's. Can we, has it, have they announced what it's for? Because they haven't announced formally I, what it's for yet. So they're just saying that something is happening on the tenth anniversary in September I, of the Black Parade album. Yes, I, I know what's happening. So do I. But I, I guess we're not allowed yeah, to say. Yeah, this it's, is yeah. It may, maybe by the time this podcast airs, it'll be out there. But let's say, let's just say, I'll, I'll say, I have on pretty good authority that the thing that people most want to happen is not, in fact, happening. And I wonder if Warner Brothers is really screwing up here because people really want that thing, and I worry there's going to be a backlash because it's not that thing. But I think so, it seems like I, they were kind of scant on details for why they broke up, from what I remember. But yeah. it doesn't seem to me that. There's lots of animosity that would keep them from ever getting back. There's together. no animosity. Yeah. I, again, I, I would be very confident that it will happen at some point. But they're all very respectful of their legacy, which I think is smart. Mm-hmm. And I think that what they, if you look back on what they did, every project is very considered and very specific. And I think they would want to come back with a similar, similar thing. But they're also very busy. Yeah, and I think the fandom of My Chemical Romance has aged really well over the years. There's kind of like how if you go to a Panic at the Disco show now. Most of the kids there are probably too young to have been into their first album, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. I think there's lots of young people who are kind of discovering Three Cheers and Black Parade as like a legacy emo yes. album. Yeah, and I also think, you know, I will I will ride for Danger Days forever. I, I love that album. And I think that what that album was doing was really risky and really hard, which was pivoting towards the light, embracing the fact that they were performing different performing as different characters and as different almost almost as almost as a different band each time. Mm-hmm. And that is a straight-up glam rock record. They were always more or less a glam rock band. And I think that that album, if you play it for people who are, you know, raise their eyebrows at the makeup, um, but like, quote-unquote, oh, no, I like rock music or whatever, that is as close to a really good rock record as you're going to get in the last 10 years. And I think that they can, they can do that again. And I think there's an audience for it. Even, and I, I agree, there's a surprising audience for it, not necessarily the same audience. Yeah, so looking towards the future, we were saying before how most of the rock bands that still pop now are older bands yeah. that have been kind of grandfathered in. Are there any younger bands around now who you think potentially could get to this level in the future? Modern Baseball. Okay. I love Modern Baseball, not just because they're from Philly like me. So we're going to have Modern Baseball, Billboard number one album. I don't know if that's true, but here's why I like them. First of all, Holy Ghost, the record they put out this year, just is killer. I yeah. love that record. I was listening to it on the way here. Just yeah, to get they psyched. were on this podcast not that long. Were they? Ago. Yeah, that's awesome. I love I love that. I've never met them. Are they good guys? They're very good guys. They seem like good the guys. Best. I I think the songwriting jump 
on this record is so serious and undeniable and impressive. And I think that um, the thing that really, really got me to fall in love with them is uh, Chris Ryan, who I do my podcast with, who was the one who played me Promise Ring in his, in his college room in 1997. Um, showed me the YouTube clip of them performing as the Killers for a Halloween show. Right, yeah. And I love the Killers. And one of the reasons why I love the Killers is because they don't give a fuck about your like scene purity or whatever. They want to write global superstar pop songs. And that is a wonderful ambition and it's very hard to pull off. And the fact that they recognize what's great about the Killers makes me think that they might find a way to write a big song, but in their own voice. So I feel very, very positive about them. Um, Two frontmen, both very good songwriters. Both very good songwriters. I can't tell the difference yet. I gotta, I guess, pay more <laughs> attention to them. Um, but in terms of young rock bands, I mean, a lot of young rock bands coming from Philly. Yeah, but I don't. But I don't know if they're like. I mentioned Modern Baseball first because you know when I first heard them, I was like, oh, thank God, there's a new Get Up Kids album, a new Get Up Kids band to fall in love with. Um, you know, I, I like Beach Slang, but that dude's super old, and that's not the same thing. So, but the band is new. The band is new. And other members in the band are, are much younger. <laughs> I think they're like... I, think, I know the drummer left recently, so I don't know if this was shook up, but I, when the last album came out, there was one guy in his 40s, one in his 30s, and yeah. one in his 20s in the band. Yeah, and I, I wonder what the younger ones are, feel like when the main dude is in the front just talking about the replacements and <laughs> drinking. But, um, you know, but you tell me, tell me, who do you think? Because I, I can't draw okay. the lines as well as I used to. Modern Baseball made sense to me because they were, I first heard of them when people were like, oh, there's an emo revival. Mm -hmm. And so they, so, so I, 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 I jumped to them. But Okay, so the one exception to this with the rock bands who do really well now all being kind of like veteran bands, mm -hmm. the one exception is Five Seconds of Summer. Like people call them. Oh, yeah. They, people will call them a boy band, but it's like, no, you're calling them that because they have a young teenage girl yes. fan base. They're they're a rock band, you know? Yeah. And I think they're the exception of, you know, they have had songs in Top 40, like albums that sell really well. If they can kind of foster a good following of younger bands, do they take out on tour and support like that? There could be some other ones following them into the I pop think world. I that's very smart because they could use their power for good. Yeah. First of all, they write good pop songs. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm completely behind your, your suggestion. But if they, also because they're global, and so it would further break down scene barriers. Yeah, but it if would. They could find, but if they could find like-minded like bands or, or something and, and start to build that infrastructure, that would be good. Because I am I'm not as, way not as close to this stuff as you are. Mm. But I, I have very, very... I mean, I'm generally very pessimistic about the state of, of rock on that level. Mm. Yeah, one band who they've taken on tour is this band State Champs, a pop-punk band from America. I I can see that sort of like early 2000s pop sensibility of like a newfound glory or a yellow card in a good way from them, where, you know, they I think they toured opening for Five Sauce in Australia. So they've been out there a little bit. And like also... A yellow card. Sorry, <laughs> just remembering the fucking violin. <laughs> Rest in peace, reunions or farewell tour going on right now. Is it really? Yeah, but um, one one other one that comes to mind is Balancing Composure. I don't know. I don't know either of these bands. I'm gonna check them out. Yeah, they actually actually they just signed to Vagrant, and they're like the first emo band to sign to Vagrant in like seven years. Oh, it's time for me to come back. It's time right? for me to like it's dust right. off my cape. They're I, they're a band that maybe not really for radio, but I could see them getting to be like something like a big Vagrant band, like a alkaline trio or dashboard level back in the day mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's still there is still an audience for it but it's weird these these sort of moments when things sort of go from the regional level and and, and start flirting with the zeitgeist and you see what happens with it they, those moments always require legitimately good songs like the middle but they also require 
stars or almost stars like like Chris Caraba to invest in and circle around and yeah you know didn't quite didn't quite go as everyone wanted but he's happy he's got new dashboard music coming soon I heard a new song it's amazing oh nice yeah. oh cool yeah Andy thanks so much for coming by thank you for having me this was a lot of fun this is a trip down memory lane but I want to check out these new bands yeah it's time to, maybe it's time to get back into the game. Yeah, we need to take this offline and have some more Jimmy World and uh, Alkaline Trio conversations. Just, I think anyone listening to this podcast, just do yourself a favor and put on a praise chorus by Jimmy World because I sometimes I don't know if there's been a better song written in the last 15 years. Yeah. Before your first date, I want to fall in love tonight. Yeah. Blast a praise chorus. Oh, my God. It's so good. It still works. <laughs> I don't know if it works on first dates, but I think it works in general. I think with <laughs> first date... Blink-182, Jimmy, or I think we've tied this, there tied you this go. all together that's very how, well. We should, pros, we should end on that That's note. how pros do it. Nice symmetry. That is the show. Yeah, good talk with Andy. That guy really, really knows his stuff. Man, he's he's a professional podcaster. He is very legit. I think I learned a lot just in hosting, conversing in podcast format from having a chat with that guy. So hope you enjoyed it as well. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Show runs uh, about once a week on Billboard. Runs all different days. It used to be every Friday. Now I'm changing it up. It's going to be posting all different days of the week. So to keep up with the show, you totally subscribe. Head to uh, iTunes, search for the Alt in Our Stars. Um, just, just search for it in the podcast app of your phone. You can also download old episodes. Got about a year and a half of archives to listen to. As I said during the show, we had Modern Baseball on not too long ago. Pup, Mitski, Courtney Barnett, Beach Slang. A lot of stuff I think you'd be into if uh, Blink-182 and Pop Punk and Emo and stuff brought you into this podcast. And also other stuff. It's not just that kind of stuff on the show. All sorts of topics, artists, writers, people within the world of alternative music. Try to bring it all into this show. So yeah, until next time, peace out everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.